Our sermon today was written by the Reverend Bill Rankin, my father-in-law and one of our clergy here at St. John's. It was written for today for our celebration of Juneteenth. Bill is still dealing with a uh, serious illness, so is not able to be here to preach the sermon, but uh, fortunately for us, he'd already written it before he became ill, so I will deliver Bill's sermon on his behalf. Most of us know about the Emancipation Proclamation, written and made public by Abraham Lincoln on September 22, 1862. It would become law in January 1863. African Americans and many whites in Texas had no knowledge of this until Union General Gordon Granger issued Order Number 3 upon his arrival in Galveston two years later. On June 19, 1865, Granger read his order aloud to the assembled people. He said, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United Slave States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. The joyful celebrations of the freed people that followed became the origin of the Juneteenth celebration. Eighty years later, in 1945, Juneteenth was introduced to San Francisco's black community by a migrant from Texas, one Wesley Johnson. In 1980, Juneteenth was first officially recognized as a state holiday in Texas. Last year, President Biden made it a national holiday to commemorate the emancipation of enslaved African Americans and to occur every June 19th. My writer friend, Annie Lamott, recently sent me an advanced galley copy of a good book for which she had written a blurb, so-called, for the dust jacket. It is by the historian Thomas Ricks and is entitled, A Good War. It's about the civil rights movement of the middle years of the 20th century. I was struck particularly by a part of it that said, quote, if America is to have what most Americans want, a multiracial, multi-ethnic democracy, we will need to renew the promise of the peaceful voting rights crusade. But to do so, we need to have a clear view of that movement. We should resist wrapping it in a gauzy sentiment to be gingerly handled and admired every Martin Luther King Day, reducing it to a simple and misleading public fable. Ricks goes on to document many of the prodigious dangers, including grave injuries and fearsome deaths, and the correspondingly exceptional bravery, 
and tenacity of ordinary black and white people struggling for freedom. The struggle continues. One of Sally's and my charities is the Montgomery, Alabama-based Southern Poverty Law Center, which sends us its annual report. The most recent arrived a few weeks ago. It identifies 1,221 hate and anti-federal extremist organizations now active in our country. This number, by the way, includes 18 Ku Klux Klan groups whose targets are black Americans, Jews, and LGBTQ people. There are 54 neo-Nazi groups, including in our state, the Folkish Resistance Movement and the Inject Division, mainly targeting Jews. There are 98 white nationalist groups, including the California-based American Freedom Party, Countercurrents Publishing in San Francisco, the National Reformation Party, and the Patriotic Front. There are 17 racist skinhead groups, including in California, the American Front and Vinland Clothing. California is home also to four of the 92 militia groups in the US. I could go on, but you get the idea. These people are serious, make no mistake, and we should be serious about them. As I read the history of the first Juneteenth celebration in Galveston, my mind kept returning to an early part of Luke's Gospel, the song of Zechariah in chapter 1, verses 68 to 79. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, as you may know, and according to an ancient tradition, spoke this canticle at his son's birth, another celebratory occasion. Listen. Blessed be Adonai, God of Israel, who has come to the people to set them free, who has raised up for us a mighty savior, born of the house of David. Through the holy prophets, God promised of old that we would be saved from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our forebears and to remember the holy covenant. This was the oath sworn to Abraham, to set us free to worship him without fear holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will walk before Adonai to prepare the way, to give the people news of salvation by the forgiveness of their, by the forgiveness of their sins. And then, in some of the sweetest words ever captured, in the tender compassion of God, the dawn from on high shall break over us to shine on all who dwell in darkness under the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Today, our hearts, minds, spirits, and bodies 
unite with our black sisters and brothers in their joyful celebration. We are their unworthy allies in their and our own struggles for liberation. As it was and continues to be told, let freedom ring, free at last, free at last. Great God Almighty, we shall all be free at last.